Well, let me ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're in a one life series and talking about how our, your one life can make a difference. And I told you a story at the end of last week's message about a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. And if you were here last week, you remember that. Edward Kimball is a Sunday school teacher who witnessed to a shoe salesman, and the shoe salesman was Dwight L. Moody. I didn't tell you the end of the story, though. A lot of people think that's the end of the story. Dwight L. Moody became an evangelist, and in one of his crusades, Frederick B. Meyer accepted Christ. Frederick B. Meyer, if you've read church history, was a great evangelist as well, and in one of his crusades, Wilbur Chapman accepted Christ. Wilbur Chapman was a great evangelist, and... Uh, shared Christ with a friend of his who was a professional baseball player at the time. His name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became a tremendous evangelist and went and held a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a lot of people got saved, and the businessmen got very pumped up and on fire at this crusade, and they decided to have another crusade. Uh, but because it was just kind of the businessmen, it wasn't as well attended as that one. But they brought in an evangelist named Mordecai Ham. Not many people... Attended, not many people got saved, but one young man on the last night got saved, and his name was Billy Graham. The reason I'm telling you this is because that's the impact that one life can have. A Sunday school teacher witnesses to a shoe salesman, and in that line of people that got saved, millions of people got saved through Mordecai Ham, Billy Sunday, Frederick B. Meyer, Dwight L. Moody, Billy Graham, all because a Sunday school teacher felt like his one life could make a difference. By the way, that story is on uh, day 27 of the new One Life devotional. So if you weren't here last week and didn't get a copy, please pick this up. We're doing another 40 days of prayer and devotion, not fasting, okay, unless you feel led. You know, we had communion this morning. I remember during the fast we were taking communion, and I was getting Debbie a piece of bread, and she said, get a big piece. <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Taking communion when you're on a fast, you know, but I do want to encourage you to get one of these and continue praying and, and seeking God. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, how can my life make an impact? What have you called me to do with the one life you've given me? Now, that's what I want to share with you about today. The title of today's message is One Witness. Just one witness. That's all it takes to see the gospel go around the world. Think about this. If every person in Gateway Church one, one person to Christ in the next 12 months. Think about that. Just, just, one, just one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. And I really want to challenge you in this. We started praying last August for a thousand souls to be saved by the end of the year or in a year. And by December, we'd had a thousand people saved. I'd like for us to pray that every person could win one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. Think about that. Just, just one. Now, what I want to share with you about, though, when we talk about witnessing is it's not as hard as you think it is. It's really not. And I want you to understand the responsibility that each of us have and that it's really just a part of our everyday life. Think about this. How many of you would say, there won't be that many of you, I understand that, but how many of you would say that your main gift, if you had to say your one main spiritual gift, you're called to intercession. How many of you would say, that's me, I'm called intercession? Can I see your hands? See, not that many, right? Okay, but how many of you think that since you're a Christian, you should pray every now and then? Let's see your hands. Okay. All right. How many of you would say your main gift 
that stirs you up, motivates you. If you had to name one spiritual gift, and this is your number one spiritual gift out of maybe three or four or whatever, it would be giving. Financially giving. Can I see your hands? All right, see, not that many, but some of us. All right, how many of you think that every now and then you ought to give something to the kingdom of God because you're a Christian? And more than every now and then, hopefully. Okay. How many of you would say your main gift is evangelism? That's your main primary gift. Okay. How many of you think, though, you ought to witness? Are you catching what I'm saying? There are things that we do as believers that I personally feel like that the devil has pushed aside to some sort of a gifting and caused many of us as believers to say, that's not my gift. And evangelism is one. We say, well, evangelism's not my gift. It may not be your gift, but if you're a believer, you're a witness. That's what I want to share with you. So let me tell you, I'm just going to tell you two things about a witness, all right? Here's the first one. A witness is someone who has experienced something. A witness is someone who has experienced something. See, we first have to get the definition of a witness, and we somehow think that it's different than even the world's definition of a witness, but I don't think it's any different. If when you're, if you were leaving the parking lot today, and while you were leaving the parking lot, you're watching and you see a car turn and you see another car doesn't see them and the car hits them and you see a car wreck and they call you to go to court, they're calling you to be a witness, right? And the only reason they're calling you to court is because you saw something or you heard something. That's what a witness is. It's a person even more basic than experienced something. It's a person who has seen and heard something. And when, when you go to court, that's all they want you to, to tell them is what you personally saw and what you personally heard. Now, if you're going to be a witness in a trial for a car wreck or something like that, let me ask you an obvious question. Would you have to go to witness college? Would you have to get a degree in witnessing? Or would you have to go to automotive school? You know, I remember one time I was sick with the flu. And, you know, there's nothing to do. And so I was watching TV, daytime TV. And I remember at the end, my wife said to me, she said, well, I'd been watching daytime TV all day. And she said, you know, how are you doing? I said, well, I either want to sue someone or go to truck driving school. (laughs) One of the other, because I've seen every commercial about the hammer and all the lawyers. Oh, anyway. So the point is, you don't have to go, though, to truck driving school if you're going to be a witness because you saw a car wreck. The only thing they want you to do is testify what you saw and what you heard. Is is that right? That's all a witness is. Now, I'm going to tell you something maybe you've never heard in your life. That's all that Jesus was when he came to this earth. That's all he was. John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and we're going to get to 1 John 1 in just a moment. But John the Baptist makes a statement about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 32 says, And what he, talking about Jesus, what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. What he, Jesus, has seen and heard, that's all he's telling us. That's all he's doing, is he's testifying about what he's seen and heard. When they came up to Jesus and said, we love your teachings, his statement was, I don't say anything unless I first hear the Father say it. When they said, we love the miracles that you do, he said, I don't do anything unless I first see the Father do it. All Jesus did when he was on this earth was he testified of what he personally had seen and heard. That's all the witness is. That is it. And all of you are here because the Son of God came to this earth 
and testified as a witness. He was a witness. That's what he did. For three and a half years, he was a witness. Let me show you now First John chapter 1. Because the Apostle John really drives this point home. Verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard... We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John, when he writes this, he's the last disciple that's still alive. They've all died at this time. And he's writing to the church at Ephesus, actually, and he's saying to them, what you don't understand, what I'm telling you, the reason that maybe you're not comprehending it is what I'm trying to tell you, I personally saw. I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus. The twelve of us have been trying to tell you now for about seven years what we personally saw and what we personally heard. We saw Jesus. We heard. The reason the disciples' testimony was so powerful is because they talked about what they personally saw and what they personally heard. Here's what they said about Peter and John. They said, they're unlearned and ignorant men, but they've been with Jesus. They're unlearned. They're ignorant people, but there's something that's compelling about them. What's compelling is that they had personally been with Jesus. Now, if you're in a court of law and you share something that you personally did not see and you personally did not hear, what do they call that? Hearsay. And the other thing that hearsay is, is it is inadmissible evidence. The reason that I think that the world is throwing out the witness of the church today is because we are testifying about things that we personally did not see and did not hear. Now, listen to me carefully. You say, well, yeah, but we weren't around 2,000 years ago. No, I wasn't around 2,000 years ago, but 25 years ago, I was in Jake's Motel Room 12. Which is where I got saved. What I'm trying to tell you is, what is powerful is your story. Your testimony. That's all you have to do. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws to witness. You don't have to know the Ten Commandments. You just have to know Jesus. That's it. You just have to meet Him. And if you'll just tell your story, your story is powerful. When I share with people, I'm just sharing with them my story. I tell them, you know, I was raised in this home. My parents were good Christians. My father was very successful. I had a lot of financial things. But I didn't know the Lord. I was lonely. I was insecure. And yes, part of my testimony is drugs and all that stuff. But it doesn't matter if that's not your testimony. You can still share. You were lonely. You were insecure. You were afraid. You were fearful. You were angry. You were bitter. Whatever it is. And people will relate to that. When I share my testimony with people, they don't get mad at me. They don't think I'm trying to convert them to some religion. The reason is I'm sharing what personally happened to me. That's what you can do. That's what I want to just drive home to you. I lived my life. Now, I was messed up before I got saved. But I want to tell you something. You were too. Maybe you don't know that. But you were just as messed up as I was messed up. And when I share, it's kind of like I'm saying, listen, I had cancer. I went to this treatment center and I don't have cancer anymore. I don't have people say to me, I don't want to hear that religious stuff. Because I'm just sharing my story. You understand? And no one can argue with your testimony. 
They can argue about why there aren't any more dinosaurs on the earth and how old the earth is. Forget that stuff. Just tell them your story. They can't argue. You can't argue in my testimony. You go to the police station where I grew up, there's a record of it. It's just my story. You can't argue that I was a bad person and I did a lot of bad things. I walked into a motel room one way and walked out a different way. It's just true. So when I share it with people, people don't say to me, I don't want to hear that religious stuff. And let me tell you something. I work my testimony in all the time. All the time. I I had a lady come up to me one time after service. She said, you know, you're always talking about winning people to Jesus. Uh, Someone that cut your hair. Someone you sold a car to. Someone in a restaurant. Someone on vacation. You're always talking about And she said, I've led a few people to the Lord, but not very many. Why do you lead more people to the Lord than I do? Is it because you're a preacher? Is it because you have a gift of communication? What is it? And when she asked me, it's like it dawned on me. And I said, no, it's because I sow more than you sow. See, you're not going to reap if you don't sow. You're never going to win someone if you don't witness. And I work my testimony in all the time. I talk to people constantly. And I know how to talk to people. It's very simple. Every person has a favorite subject, and I know what it is. It's themselves. And if you don't believe that, who's the first person you look for in a group picture? It's easy. So all I do is I say to people, you know, where'd you grow up? Did you go to college? What do you do? Do you have kids? And eventually, out of politeness, they're going to ask me a question. When they do, I've got them. (laughs) Because I'm going to share somehow that, you know, I grew up in a good home, but when I got in high school, I got all mixed up and I was on drugs and went to jail and did stuff like that. And they'll say, well, how'd you change your life? Or You know, you say, I'm just going to slip it in. You understand? And all I'm saying to you is, you have a story, and I'm telling you, the devil's told you it's not that good. And if it involves Jesus, it's that good. Amen. Whatever your story is, just tell people. I'm going to tell you a few testimonies in this message, and you're going to like them. I have a friend of mine that got saved trying to commit suicide. He stuck his head in an oven and, you know, tried to kill himself, and that's how he got saved. He had a revelation while his head was in the oven of the Lord. Now... I know something about it that he doesn't like to share publicly, but I'm going to share it publicly. The reason he doesn't like to share it is he was on drugs at the time, so he was a little mixed up. But the thing he doesn't like to share is it was an electric oven. (laughs) Now, Now, you can probably commit suicide that way, but it's going to take a long time. And maybe he got a revelation of hell, you know, dear. I don't know, but some... He wasn't successful is the point. So here's what he says. When he stuck his head in the oven, it's like it dawned on him who Jesus really was. His friends have been witnessing. Someone had been telling him about the Lord. And all of a sudden he realized, I get it. I get it. And in this oven, he repents. While his head's in the oven, he repents. Yes, Jesus comes in his heart to get saved. So the next day he's sharing with one of his friends. And he's telling him. And it's so powerful because he's telling him his story. He's not talking about religion. And his friend says to him, I want to get saved. So this guy, he doesn't know. He opens the oven and says, put your head in. Put your, put your head in here. As Jesus coming to And the guy did, by the way. He put his head in the oven. He got saved. Okay. This guy that got saved, the first guy I'm saved by, is now a pastor of a church. 
And he doesn't lead people to the Lord the same way. He's learned since then. But he's just telling his story. You understand what I'm saying? That's all it is. All right, let me tell you my second point. And I only got two today. The second one is a good witness is someone who will share the experience. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. All of your witnesses, what you need to decide today is if you're a good one or a bad one. Because you're all witnesses. A good witness is just someone who will tell the story. If you have a witness on the stand and he doesn't tell the story, he's not a good witness, right? If he doesn't accurately, if he just doesn't tell what he saw and heard, he's not a good witness. I think another reason that we're not winning the world of the Lord, number one is we're not testifying what we personally saw and heard. It's inadmissible. It's a hearsay to people. The second reason is I think we're not winning people of the Lord is because we're taking the fifth. You're on the stand every day you go to work, every time you talk to your neighbor, every time you at one of your kids' ball games, you're on the witness stand. And the problem with most believers is that they're taking the fifth. They just don't tell anyone their story. And that's not a good witness. You just have to share your experience. Okay. In the church where I used to be an associate pastor, there was a lady that got saved. And she was in her early 20s, so she went home and she started telling all of her friends. And she told her boyfriend. And all she did was tell her experience. She had, she'd been saved less than a week. And she just said, I've got flooded with the love of God. My sins have been forgiven. You know, da, da. So she tells her boyfriend, and her boyfriend says, I'd like to be saved. Well, the only way she knows to be saved is the way she got saved, which is go to church. She said, come to church with this next week. And there will be a time when they will ask for the visitors to come forward and get saved. Now, that's in her mind what happened. If you're a visitor here and you don't know the Lord, why don't you come forward and get saved? So she said, when they ask for the visitors... You know, to get saved, then you go forward. Just go down front and you get saved. Well, one of the pastors was up and he said, we'd like to welcome all the visitors here today. So when he heard the word visitor, he got up and he walked down front and he stood right there like this. Our pastor, actually, Brother Olin, that was here a few, you know, uh, months ago. And so he said, can I help you? And you have to understand, his mindset was that if you're a Christian, you're a member, and if you're a visitor, you're not a Christian. So when Brother Olin said, can I help you? He said, yes, I'm a visitor. <laughs> we didn't know what that meant, you know. He was trying to tell us, and Brother Olin said, I, uh, good, um, is there something I can do for you? And so he explained it a little more, and it was really, we would look back on it. He said, yes, I'm a visitor. I'm going to hell. I'm a visitor. I need to get saved. And so he led him to the Lord. Now, he would have not gotten saved if his girlfriend would have gone home and told him theology. But the reason he got saved was because she told him her story. That's all I'm asking you to do. The greatest witness who ever lived, obviously, was Jesus. I think the second greatest witness was someone that we don't think about being a great witness. We think about him being a great apostle. But I think Paul was a great witness. As a matter of fact, we have his testimony three times in the book of Acts alone. Every time he goes in front of someone, he tells his testimony. Every time. Two years before he dies, he's standing before a king on trial for his life. And here's what he says. I was riding this horse. I was riding a horse, and I was on my way to do this, and there's a bright light, and he tells his testimony. Uh, when he's sharing his testimony in Acts 22, he tells about Ananias coming and laying hands on him, and here's what Ananias said, Acts 22, verse 15. You will be his witness 
to all men of what you have seen and heard. The greatest church planter, you're here because you can probably go back indirectly somehow because Paul planted the church, it planted the church, it planted the church, it planted this church, you see. Paul was this incredible missionary. The reason he was a great church planter is because he was a great witness. All he did was tell people his story. That's it. Everywhere he went, think about this. Here's the guy that wrote a third of the New Testament, caught up to the third heaven, this incredible apostle, and yet right before he's about to die, he goes back to the same old story. Because it's the most powerful story he has. It's how he got saved. If every person here would simply make a commitment, I'm just going to start telling my story, I promise you people will get saved. They just need to hear your story. Now, some of you have heard how I came into the kingdom, and some of you haven't heard. It starts way before Jake's Motel. I told you about Edward Kimball, the shoe salesman. Well, let me tell you about a deacon at First Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. His name was Ray Alexander. He worked for about six months with my grandfather, and he shared the Lord with my grandfather. No one in my family on my father's side knew the Lord. I don't have a great history. Most of you know that. My family tree is a weed. <laughs> We've never, we haven't done anything famous or anything like that. No one knew the Lord. My father is first convert in our family. My father has two brothers. One's in jail because he's an alcoholic, 69 years old, probably going to die in jail. The other one committed suicide. If my father hadn't have accepted the Lord, I wouldn't be here. And the way my father accepted the Lord was this man's job, Ray Alexander's job, was to put asphalt in potholes for the Texas Highway Department. And he works for six months. He works with my grandfather, and he shares the Lord with my grandfather. And my grandfather said to him one day, I'd like to hear more about this. And so he said, why don't you come over after dinner tonight, and I'll share some more with you. So he said, okay. So after dinner, he gets up, my grandfather, and starts to leave. And my father was 16 years old and had just gotten his driver's license. So he asked what all 16-year-olds ask. What did he ask? Can I drive you? Wherever you're going, can I drive you? And so my grandfather said, okay, but you have to stay outside while we talk. He said, fine. So my father drives him over to Ray Alexander's house, sets in the car for a while, listens to the radio, gets out of the car, walks up in a while, and sits on the front porch. And they didn't have air conditioning back then. So through the screen door, my father, for the first time in his life, heard the gospel and had never heard that Jesus died for his sins had never heard that he could be forgiven and he could go to heaven. Had never heard it. And this man said to my grandfather, would you like to accept Christ? My grandfather said no. And the man said, if you ever decide to give your life to Jesus, you should pray a prayer like this. And told my grandfather the sinner's prayer. And as he told my grandfather the sinner's prayer, through the screen door, my father prayed the prayer. I went through a tough time, but I eventually came to know the Lord. After I got saved, I got concerned about my grandfather. So one year at a family reunion, I had prayed, and I had a time where we were alone in a room, and I shared the Lord with my grandfather. This was 45 years after he had heard the gospel the first time, and he accepted the Lord. A few years after that, he passed away. And so I asked my father one day, I got to thinking about it, I wonder if this man, and I didn't even know his name at the time, I wonder if he knows. I wonder if he knows. And so I called him on the phone, and uh, I said, I'm Joe Morris's grandson, 
And do you know that my father got saved that day sitting on the porch listening to you? He said, no, I didn't never knew that. I said, well, my father got saved. And at that time, I was an evangelist. And I said, I'm an evangelist now. And a lot of people have gotten saved. And I wanted to tell you thank you. And I also wanted to tell you that my grandfather passed away. But before he passed away, I led him to Christ. And this is what that man said to me. This phone call makes my life. Not my day. It makes my life. And I said, why would you say that? And he said, well, you see, in the back of my Bible, I have the names of every person that I've ever shared Christ with. And I pray for them until they accept the Lord. I've prayed every day for your grandfather for the past 45 years. And he said, in the back of my Bible, I've got the names. And when they get saved, I put a check beside their name. And your grandfather was the only name in the back of my Bible that didn't have a check beside it. And when I get off the phone, I'm going to go put a check beside it. And he was 82 years old when I talked with him on the phone. One life. Just one. You realize you get fed the Word of God every week because of Ray Alexander? Because of a man that put asphalt in potholes, decided to share Christ. I said to him, how many names do you have in the back of your Bible? He said, I don't know. I know it's over 100, though. Over 100 people. How many of those people have witnessed and shared Christ with a lot of people? Last night, I'm sharing that. I shared that, you know, last night in the message. And one of our missionaries came up to me and said to me, I know Ray Alexander. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no. To Elder Ray to Arkansas, he said he was well known for leading people to Christ. He said, I know three evangelists who got saved by him. Three evangelists who were led to Christ by him in high school when they were in high school in that Sunday school department. I'm telling you, your one life makes a difference if you'll just tell your story. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? I think that there are some of you here that are a lot like I was before Jake's Motel. Or you're like my father or my grandfather was before they accepted the Lord. And I want you to know something. You are not here by accident. You are here today, maybe because someone invited you, but you're here because God has been inviting you. You're here because God's been drawing you. We're going to give you an opportunity. Just like that person that got saved that day that I told about in the, in the service. I'm, I'm about to give you an opportunity to come down and to talk to one of our leaders and give your life to Jesus. Please don't leave here without giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church, but you're away from God now. You need to come back to God. In just a moment, we're going, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to have leaders here at the front. And you make up your mind. As soon as you stand up, you just step out and come. Come to one of the leaders here and say, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to give my life back to God. I need to get right with God. If you're a believer here and you need to pray about something, maybe you've gotten a bad report, or you're, one of your kids needs to come to the Lord. I, I talked to the lady after service that her grandfather's 80 years old, and she's trying to share Christ with him. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've shared the Lord with someone for a long time. Let us agree with you. We want to pray with you. This is your time to allow us to help you and pray with you and minister to you. And if you're here and you've not given your life to the Lord or you're away from God, please come and let us pray with you. I want to pray. After I pray, we'll stand. When we stand up, you just stand up and you step out and come. And our altar ministry team will come as soon as we stand also and they'll be here ready to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that every person that needs to come today 
will be drawn by your Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Amen.